Hey there, welcome back to the Claim the Stage podcast. And if you're here for the first time, welcome for the first time. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women. And you are here at the Claim the Stage podcast, which is a podcast for women who are interested in discovering, awakening, and creating their voice through the art of public speaking. And we talk about all things public speaking. We go deep, we go wide, we're all over the place. And I just want to give you guys a little teaser. I'm working on a new introduction for this show with all kinds of sound effects and music and a professional voiceover. And it's going to be so cool. So that is coming in a couple of weeks. And that means if you happen to tune into the show and it sounds totally different, you are in the right place. It's just going to have this, this shiny new coat. And when I was thinking about putting a new intro on the show, I was like, what, what kind of intros do I like? And I immediately, <laughs> I immediately thought of Full House. I thought of Full House, Blossom, and Fresh Prince of Bel-Air because when I was a kid, I loved singing along with those theme songs. And oftentimes, if my dad was there, he would mute the TV while I was singing it, and then he would put the voice or put the volume back on, and I would be still be singing along with it. And it was this really fun game to prove my prowess when it comes to memorizing '80s theme songs from the introduction. <laughs> But I decided not to go in that direction because it actually makes no sense for a podcast, but it was really fun to think about. So I wanted to give you a heads up that that is coming. Also wanted to give you a heads up that, as you know, I've been talking about speaking school for the last few weeks, and registration closes next Tuesday, September 19th. So if you have not registered yet and you're still thinking about it, now would be the time to jump on that. <laughs> we only have a couple spots left, and if you're you know, kind of rolling a lot of questions around your mind, please feel free to to email me and we can set up a time to talk because I want to help make sure we have all the the right people in the course who are ready for this kind of learning and that we have just a, a strong supportive group who can not only learn and grow, but help each other. So far, we have a leadership coach. We have a tarot card reader and psychic. We have a management consultant focused on building stronger teams and corporations. All kinds of different industries are represented, and I'm excited about the diversity in this group, and I think we're going to really get some rich conversations going in the classes. So if you didn't listen to episode 62, last week's episode, you might want to go check that out. I interviewed a couple of the uh, graduates of the speaking school from the last couple sessions, and you can hear about what they're up to now and why they recommend the course and what they got from it. So to register and get more information about Speaking School, you can go to my website, AngelaLucier.us, and just click on Speaking School, and all the information is right there for you. Today, on today's episode, we are talking about a subject that we've probably talked about now hundreds of times, but we've never talked about it like this. We are talking about voice, and I'm not talking about like finding your voice or sharing your voice in that way where it's your style and the words you're using. I'm talking about your actual vocal cords, <laughs> the things that are what facilitate conversations and presentations. But I don't know about you, but I rarely think about my vocal cords. I know they're there, but I'm not thinking about how to take care of them. I'm not thinking about how to use them so that they're really 
you know, doing the right job for me. So on today's episode, I interview Alyssa Weinzimmer, who is a voice coach in New York City, and she gives us a bunch of awesome exercises to try before we get on stage, exercises we can do while we're on stage, and just different tips and reminders about how to take care of our voice. Because as speakers, it's the number one most important tool we have. So we have to start thinking about it. So without further ado, my interview with Alyssa Weinzimmer. Alyssa Weinzimmer is a vocal health educator, presence coach, and the founder of Voice Body Connection. She found her calling after losing her own voice at the age of 21 due to vocal overuse and abuse. Today, it's her mission to help people understand and find joy in their voices so they can express themselves more fully and more often. Alyssa is based in New York City, where she continues to study voice, yoga, and mind-body centering, and works in person and online with clients that include Broadway stars, major television personalities, politicians, and CEOs. Learn more about her work at voicebodyconnection.com. Alyssa, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you, Angela. Me too. We have so much to talk about. And the subject of voice is so important because we're, especially on this show, we're constantly talking about finding your voice and discovering your voice. And and how do you want your voice to be heard in the world? But we don't talk about actual voice. (laughs) (laughs) I know, right? It's, that's a thing. That's a thing. So today we're going to talk about some different exercises you can do, mistakes people make, how to project your voice, how to really use it on stage. But before we jump into all of that, I want to know more about how you got into this kind of work. And I know you said that you lost your voice. So share this story about how voice became so central in your life. Yeah, totally. Um, So when I tell people I lost my voice, a lot of times their reaction is really intense, like, oh my God, what do you even mean? <laughs> you know, um, what does that mean? Um, so essentially what happened was um, a little over a decade ago, I was drinking more alcohol than was usual for me at the time because it was the end of my college career. I was singing in an acapella group and I was pushing to belt What a Feeling from Flashdance. <laughs> of course. Uh, as one does. And, um, and, you know, I just was um, not taking care of myself, which I think is um, a relative epidemic in our society, especially for college students. Mm -hmm. And um, I woke up one morning on my acapella retreat. So really, I mean, you have to just picture that my life looked like the movie Pitch Perfect at this moment. (laughs) (laughs) I woke up one morning on my acapella retreat and I'd had, it was the perfect storm. I'd had laryngitis that weekend too. We'd been drinking at night. I'd been singing my solo and I just woke up and I felt like I had shards of glass in my throat and it hurt to swallow and I couldn't really talk. And I distinctly remember that that day was Super Bowl Sunday, 2007. And, um, Halfway through watching the Super Bowl with my boyfriend and all our friends, um, I tasted something sort of metallic-y in my mouth, and I went to the sink and spat. And I'm sorry if this is gross for anyone, but, you know, there was blood. So essentially what happened was my vocal cords hemorrhaged. I had a um, hemorrhage of my vocal cords, so, you know, a blood vessel burst, and they bled. Um, And I at the same time sort of was experiencing severe onset of acid reflux, which probably led to the hemorrhage to some degree. And that probably had to do with the alcohol, which really 
I mean, I wasn't even drinking that much. It's just, I don't have a very high tolerance for stuff like that. Mm. Um, and, uh, I also, what took me years to figure out is that in the process of this whole sort of vocal trauma episode, um, developed what we could clinically call muscle tension dysphonia, which is really just a fancy way of saying that all of my muscles in my throat around my voice box seized up really tight and wouldn't let go. Right. Wow. So it was a combination of acid reflux, muscle tension, and then ultimately that led to a hemorrhage. And, um, I had to go to the ear, nose, and throat doctor, get my vocal cords scoped. That would, of course, if anyone ever winds up in a situation similar to this, that's the first step. Um, went on acid reflux medication, went on vocal rest for a month, got sent to speech therapy, the whole shebang, <laughs> you know? Oh, God. Yeah. How long does it take to recover from something like that? Well, it depends um, what type of recovery you're talking about. Um, I was speaking again at the end of that month. Um, I was actually in a production of Angels in America, and I was able to do the play and, you know, say my lines on stage. Um, but um, in terms of like really, really recovering to the point that I felt that I had the same or even maybe better stamina than I'd had before that incident, it took me years. It took me like six, seven years of really deep research and um, finding the right way to untangle the muscle tension is the part that hangs around. Oh. So, um, and then of course there was a lot of, you know, research around the acid reflux side of stuff too. Um, so really, I mean, when we are abusing or overusing our voice, um, you can think of it as a issue that happens by degrees. And in the same way that it can build up, it, it can take the same effort and energy or possibly potentially more effort and energy to unwind it right wow yeah it's the same thing that happened to Adele I just have to ask you know that's a great that's a great question um and I actually was just thinking about Adele a lot and there was a really um really good article um in I believe it was now I'm not going to know it's New York Magazine I think that was talking about the whole what I like to call the Adele controversy that's now coming up um sort of yes I think I think you know, I don't know what happened with Adele. She's not my client. I've not sat in the room with her. But my guess is, because this is true for so many vocalists, um, that she's dealing with muscle tension issues. So essentially, if she, if someone is has a recurring vocal injury, that probably means that you can't just shave off the node off the fold or, you know, just do the surgery. You also have to do some functional repatterning. And there's probably a degree of functional repatterning that has not happened yet to allow Adele to have the same injury multiple times. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So what did you learn about the importance of communication when you didn't have a voice? Mm. So when I was on vocal rest for that month, I walked around. I don't know why I didn't get a whiteboard because they <laughs> certainly existed 10 years ago. But instead, I had one of those um, little, you know, like the notepads that servers write their orders <laughs> down on. Yeah. Um, and I walked around with that and I would write stuff down about, um, you know, if I was buying some toothpaste or something, I would just write things down and show it to the person. Mm -hmm. um, I think I learned there's sort of two sides of this coin. On one hand, I learned that you can say less and that's okay and people will still understand. But of course, on the other hand, I learned how important our voices are and how utterly and completely 
we rely on them and how unique we are as human beings. So much of what we can even accomplish as human beings, building things and creating things and you know, it, it all relies on communication. Mm-hmm. Um, it all relies on this amazing human ability to speak. And so um, when that when we don't have that, um, it strips away a lot of our um, capacity to feel like ourselves in the world, like feel like we can be the person with that personality that we've been living with for our whole lives. Wow. So, so I know a lot of people get through life with just being able to communicate with whatever schooling they had and training and they do fine. But why is it important to do voice work? Is there, what, what's the benefit of that? Yeah. So I like to think back to, to think about this question. I like to think back to the moment that we were born actually, because, you know, we came out, we all have different birth experiences, but essentially the way it generally works is that we come out of the womb and we take our first breath which is, you know, we're going from a fluid environment into this air environment, which is totally new to us. And that first breath is the most powerful breath that we'll ever take because our lungs have been deflated and we have to inflate them with that first breath. So we take this breath and we start sending air out of our lungs, which is a brand new thing. And as that air is moving out of our lungs, it passes through these vocal cords that have been developing and relatively quickly, like probably in that hospital room where you were born, you make a sound, right? You start, you cry or you make some sort of sound. Um, Now, no one sits us down at that moment and says, hello, little baby, welcome to the world. Let me explain to you how your vocal cords work. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) No one gives us an instruction manual at that moment. We just start making sound. Um, When, you know, a number of months pass or like a little over a year generally, then our parents are actually very involved in helping us with the speech process. So they're very involved in helping us understand how to move our lips, how to move our tongue, how to shape our mouth to make the different sounds of speech. But as you can maybe tell from, you know, this scenario, making sound, our voice is different than speech. So the thing that happens is that we get a lot of training around speech, but we don't get a lot of training around voice most of the the time, unless we're a singer and we start going to singing lessons. And for the most most part, that's fine because for most people, they don't need to really think about their voice. It just comes out. It's okay. We can rely on it. But actually for more people than maybe we want to admit, our voice doesn't always work the way we want it to work. Um, And when that starts to happen, because we never got the instruction manual, because we never really figured it out in the first first place, we have to sort of wind our way back to what is this thing, this ability that I have to send air out of my lungs, through my windpipe, through my vocal cords and make noise. Like, how does this work? And how can I do it better? And how can I make sure that I'm not getting tired? And how can I make a more powerful sound? And all these questions that come up over the course of our lives. I can't wait to learn a couple of these exercises because now I'm thinking, what, sure. what have I been doing my whole life? <laughs> well, and that's the beautiful thing is that it just, it works. Like it, it, it tends to work and that's great. But there's something so, there's something so central about our human ability to make sound and therefore there's something so powerful about paying attention to it. Yeah. So before we jump into those, those warm up exercises, can you tell me a couple of the mistakes you see speakers make when it comes to their voice? Sure. So one of the biggest um, mistakes that people make is the same one that I was making when I lost my voice, which is pushing. Um, So 
there are kind of a couple different ways to make your voice louder. And the real answer to how to sustainably make your voice louder is to rely on the airflow um, and the breath support that is coming, not only even just from your lungs, but really your whole torso is involved in providing the support for your diaphragm and your lungs to um, you know, send the proper uh, pressure through your vocal cords that makes a powerful sound. Um, what happens very often is either we don't send enough airflow through and then we get a sort of like a, like breathy, quiet sound. Uh-huh. Or we send too much airflow through and it's almost like our vocal cords now have to brace in, uh, it's almost like our vocal cords are flapping in the wind, right, in the breeze, but now the breeze is too strong so the vocal cords start to brace and try to get um, stronger against the extra powerful airflow and that causes muscle tension. Hmm. So the thing that I often see is that people try to accomplish that louder sound with the bracing of the vocal cords instead of by regulating airflow. Um, And that's certainly what happened to me is that I started to overuse the muscles in my throat to make the type of sounds that I wanted to make. And ultimately that led me to uh, get tired and break down. I have a question about that, that breathy sort of quieter voice. Mm-hmm. And how it relates to confidence, because sure. I've no, and I think as humans we're really good at noticing who's confidence based on the way that they speak and the how much they project and the volume. Do you ever work on that with your clients and how to project confidence through how much air they let out and the volume? A hundred percent, always. Um, it is. In, and that's I, I love that you go there because it's so intimately intertwined. Um, something that I like to think about is that, you know, obviously we can work on our confidence in a um, psychological way. We can work on it with our mindset. But also sometimes when we step into the shape is sometimes the language I use. When we step into the shape of doing the thing, the confidence follows. And I'll cite um, Amy Cuddy's research, the, um, you know, Uh, power posing TED talk that she has where she talks about um, if we stand in that pose for two minutes, our cortisol goes down and our adrenaline goes up. And, or I I think I'm actually saying the wrong things about the hormones, but anyhow, the stress hormones go down and the um, happy stuff goes up, the powerful stuff, testosterone. So, um, so we, when we step into the shape of using more of our body behind our voice, and this is why my business is called Voice Body Connection, um, when there is more of ourselves and our guts and our diaphragm and our lungs and our, all of the tissues of our body in our sound, it is, it is a more confident sound. People are going to perceive it as more confident. And when there's not enough airflow, when we have that sort of breathy sound, it's often because on an energetic level, parts of our body are disengaged. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about a couple of warm-up exercises speakers could do mm-hmm. before getting on stage to get their voice ready. Totally. So one of the ones I wanted to share actually is um, pre-making sound. It's actually more of an energy and presence exercise, but I think it is really valuable and precedes the making sound thing. And we'll actually add an element at the end of sound too. So something, a step that I think a lot of speakers skip 
um, when they are, you know, entering, especially a new space that they haven't spoken in before, which let's face it, that's happening all the time. Yeah. Um, is that we don't take a chance to take in the room to like really see what is this space? Where are the people going to be sitting? Where do the vibrations of my voice need to reach, you know? And so we just get up on stage and, um, we start sort of projecting our voice out into space, which the word projection really sort of refers to something that goes out and doesn't come back. And projection is actually maybe not the best way to be thinking about our voice because that's going to get us into that very like pushed forced thing that can cause us to get fatigued and um, feel like we're just not truly in conversation with our audience. So what we want to do instead is instead is we want to be really experiencing a flow of energy back and forth between our audience. And so what we can do is take in, take a moment to take in the volume of the room. And when I say volume, I mean like, you know, I'm talking physics, like the, the space inside the container, mm -hmm. right? And, and really take a moment to breathe and see that space visually and maybe practice a couple lines of your speech. So this is where the sound comes in. Practice a couple lines of your speech, imagining that it's reaching where the furthest people are going to be sitting. And then once those people arrive and are sitting there, it becomes a conversation. It becomes the ability, because you've taken in the volume of the room, the volume of your voice will now fill that space. Um, so I really like thinking about our loudness in terms of the word volume instead of thinking projection. And how do you prepare if you're going to be using a microphone? What would that exercise look like? Great question. Same thing. So the microphone is a really useful tool for helping the literal decibels reach your audience if, you know, there's some sort of energetic uh, or environmental reason that that's not going to happen. But it is still immensely important that energetically you've taken in the whole space. And part of the reason that people pay a bunch of money to go see Beyonce in, you know, a huge space, like I live in Brooklyn, you know, we go to Barclays. Um, I'm going to watch her on the Jumbotron. Like I'm probably not close enough that I'm actually hearing the vibration of her voice naked through the air to my ear. However, the reason I pay the money to go see Beyonce or go see Adele or whoever it is, is because that performer knows how to fill the entire space with their energy. And so that's what we want to be doing as speakers is filling the entire space with our energy. And then the microphone is just there as a tool um, to help the literal amplitude reach where maybe your voice truly just couldn't reach. It seems like this exercise would be best done with a partner, like having someone stand in the back of the space and give you feedback on whether or not you're reaching them. Or do you feel like this is something as a speaker you can do some trial and error to figure out on your own. I love this exercise with a partner. It's awesome. And, you know, when I coach, um, cause my background's in theater. And so when I coach plays, that's exactly how I'll do this exercise. The first day that we move from the rehearsal space into the theater, I have half the cast go to the back of the space and half the cast stand on stage and just back, back and forth some lines from the play. And then everyone switches. And that's a beautiful way to just make sure that we all have our consciousness in the entire space. But, 
if you don't have someone, if you know you've arrived to the space and you don't have someone back there to do this with you, then it is something that you can certainly get good at doing for yourself. And the more that we start attuning ourselves to being, now I'm going to use some language um, that we haven't introduced yet, but to being in second circle is actually part of what I'm talking about here too, being present with um, the whole space, um, the more that you'll be able to self-regulate. Awesome. So do you want to talk more about what Second Circle is? Yeah. So Second Circle um, is uh, really this um, amazing way of looking at our presence and our voice that comes from a British voice teacher named Patsy Rodenberg. And, you know, I can spend hours explaining it, but also the beauty of this system is that you can explain it really quickly. So here's the quick explanation. There are three circles of energy. And um, we move between all three of them at any given moment throughout the day. We all occupy all three. Those three circles are first circle is the circle of withdrawing or withholding your energy. It's when you're energetically concerning yourself more with yourself than the, the world around you. I'll skip over second for a minute and just do third because it's the opposite of first. Um, third circle is when you are pushing or forcing your energy outwards. It is when you are more concerned with the outside world than you are with your own inner experience. Um, and this is the one where your voice tends to get really pushed and forced. And first circle is the one when your voice tends to get quiet and breathy and held back, right? And, and difficult to hear. And then of course the if you will, the Venn diagram of first and third circle overlapping, the space in between is second circle. And that is the circle of presence and connection. It is when we are giving and receiving energy, when we're equally concerned with our own experience and this experience outside. And so this idea that we've just talked about, about projecting, projecting would be a very third circle action where you're just forcing your sound and your energy out. And second circle would be, volume would be a more second circle thing where we're truly taking in the full space and letting that space be filled with the volume of our voice. And that's, that's our goal. And do those circles look different? Are those, those types of energy if you were looking at someone and they were in one of those three, I don't know, phases yeah. of energy? Yeah. Um, yes, they do. And the more that we start to pay attention to them, and, and the truth is, I, I really believe that for people listening to this, they're going to go, oh my gosh, yeah, that's just a way of describing stuff that I already understand. You know, that's the brilliance <laughs> of second circle of this system is that it just makes a lot of sense. Um, but some things that we do start to notice about people in these different circles of energy in terms of body language Someone who's in first circle, that circle of withdrawing or withholding, they might be slouching, their body might be sort of caving in on itself in some way, not super energized, their gestures are kind of lackadaisical, etc. Um, someone in third circle, their body might look really rigid. Um, third circle is often that presence, uh, that energy that we're in when we don't know what to do with our hands, when we feel like, oh my God, I don't know where my hands should go right now. Um, so that's often indicative of the fact that we're pushing and forcing and getting rigid and tight. And then second circle is the circle where it just looks natural and it feels like that person is truly present in front of you and their body is open and they're available to give and receive. And if someone in the audience asks a question sort of out of left field, it's um, batted back with, you know, enthusiasm and joy as opposed to 
uh, fear or um, nervousness, you know, so yeah, I think there's definitely a way to to start to spot these visually too, for sure. Yeah, and I think if if speakers videotape themselves, they'll be able to see really quickly if they're in first, second, or third circle, and hear which which one they're in. Totally, and another beautiful way to look for it, especially if you're if you're videoing yourself and you're if you're relatively close in the shot, is to look at your eyes because even eyes are going to give you a dead giveaway. If you're in first circle, your eyes might look sort of glassy, like they're not connecting. If you're in third circle, your eyes might look like you're boring holes in your audience. <laughs> and if you're in second circle, it really just looks like you're making genuine eye contact. Oh. So that's a really nice way to uh, assess it, too. Awesome. I love that connection between body and voice. Can you give us one more warm up exercise that speakers could do to get before they get on stage? Totally. So let's say you've done this exercise, this first one, where we'll call it the take in the room exercise, where you really energetically take a look at the space that you are. I'm going to be speaking in and then fill it with your voice, practice some lines of your speech. A nice uh, second thing to do to get into your body and your voice is this very classic, like this comes from theater exercise, which is to do a roll down and a roll up. And this also, people might be familiar with this from yoga too. So what you do is you let your head drop, you let your chin drop towards your chest, and then you want one vertebra at a time, you want to unstack your body so that ultimately you make your way down into a forward fold. And you want to do this nice and slowly, but the aspect that we want to add to this is that you're making some sound while you do it. So if you can, a fun thing to do is to do a lip trill, which sounds like this, right? You know, one of those. Because okay. mm-hmm. a lip trill, the reason a lip trill is really fun is because it um, regulates your airflow. You have to have a certain amount of sort of optimized airflow to be able to keep that trill going. But no worries if trills are hard for you. You can just do some humming. So you can go, hmm, as you roll. Can so I you're going to roll it? all the yeah. Oh my gosh, please go ahead. And then of course, the last thing I was going to say is you'll roll back up at the end. So yeah, please go ahead. <laughs> Wait, are you doing are you doing you the want to do it together? Yeah, I do. I'm going to hold my mic and I'm going to carry it down with me. Okay, okay. good. Okay, I love it. Okay, and just for the sake of of sound, I'll let you do it and I'll I'll give you some feedback as I listen. Okay. I do it the whole time, the lip troll. Yeah, and take breaths and take breaks. And if you notice a place where you start to feel a little bit sticky or tight or it makes it's harder to make sound, just take a breath there and then start again. You don't have to be perfect about this. Okay. Mhm. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) I love it. (laughs) This is so fun. It's going to be fun. And that's the main thing is for us to have a little bit of fun before we step out on stage in front of everyone, right? Yeah. It makes my lips tickle. (laughs) Yeah, totally. So that's actually, um, you know, singers will know this phrase pretty well, but as speakers, maybe we're not as familiar with it. Um, The idea is um, that we want to have what's called forward resonance with our voice. We want our voice to be vibrating the front of our cheekbones and all, all of our facial bones. That just means that it's going to feel more powerful for the people out in the audience. And so part of buzzing with this lip trill is helping bring your resonance forward too. That's so great. I'm going to do that like every day when I wake up. Yeah. Oh, it's a fabulous morning exercise. Please go ahead. Report back. Everyone can let me know how it's going. I would love it. Oh, thank you. I'm so excited about that. All right. So how can we take care of our voice so that we're 
you know, when we show up for speaking engagements, we don't have to worry about whether or not it's going to work. <laughs> sure. Okay. Let me give you my top suggestion for vocal care, um, which is steaming. Uh, let me explain what that means. So if you are tired, if you are worried about your voice, if you are traveling and on airplanes and sleeping in hotels and just away from your normal routine, um, one of the best things you can do to reset your voice is to breathe steam. So there are a couple ways you can do this. You can get one of those, you know, you can go to the drugstore and get one of those Vicks facial steamers for like 30 bucks ish. Um, and you plug it in and you put some water in it and you put your face in it and you breathe steam for like 10, 15 minutes. That's a fancy way to do it. Or you can just boil a pot of water, grab a towel, sort of, you know, obviously don't get too close to the pot of boiling water. But what you want to do is basically catch the steam with your towel and breathe the steam for 10 to 15 minutes. Um, obviously, this is possible in a shower too. But the concentrated way of doing it where you're right over the source of steam is really, really good. Because here's the thing, our vocal cords are sitting in our airway. And so, yes, drinking water is important, and that's recommendation number two. But recommendation number one is the steaming because it's the fastest way to lubricate our vocal cords, yeah. right? Drinking water lubricates our vocal cords by lubricating all of the tissues of our body, whereas breathing steam literally goes down our airway right away and lubricates our vocal cords. Um, so if you have that moment where you're like, oh, God, I'm worried about my voice today, steam. How close That's to the speaking engagement should you do that? Uh, as close as you want, um, as close as you can. Um, if you are, have like a big heavy week, you can just sort of say, I'm going to steam every morning and every night, twice a day. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously we need to like get there an hour before and set up, et cetera, et cetera. So it's fine if it, if, if you steamed two hours ago, that's okay. 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 Mm -hmm. So you gave us some really good tips and fun tips to get us ready to be on stage. Can you share a few techniques to help us use our voice when we're on stage? Yeah, sure. Um, so I think maybe th this is a bit of a mindset thing because, you know, we're probably not going to stop our speech in the middle and be like, pardon me for one moment. Let me do an exercise. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> or maybe, I mean, if you're me, then yes. You I, are say, I might do this. <laughs> Lead the whole, the whole room in a vocal exercise. Yeah. Um, by all means, if you need to stretch, tell the whole room to stretch, do it. You know, if you, if you need to make a loud noise, then tell the whole room to do it with you. But Here's a nice mindset thing that you can do while you're literally in the middle of your prepared stuff, which is remember that your voice travels up and out of you. And this is a huge mindset shift that a lot of us unconsciously don't realize we're working against. So in order to share our message, it's traveling up and out of us. And I think what sometimes happens is that we go into squeeze in, push down, make the nervousness, make the, you know, discomfort go away mode. Our bodies, our human bodies are used to squeeze in, push down as a technique to make things go away when those things are solid or liquid, if you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um, but voice, air, emotion, don't, we cannot 
get them out of us down downwards. They only come out of us upwards. And so just to remember that the act of sharing your message is an act of letting things come from the center of you, from the guts of you, I like to say, up and out is a really useful memory, a really useful thing to remember because you may find in that moment where you're starting to contract and get scared and think, oh my God, I don't know if this audience likes me. I don't know if they're hearing my message. Just to take one easy breath and remember, right, I'm sharing up and out from my guts and my heart, up and out through my voice to this room full of people is a really nice mindset reset. Yeah, absolutely. Anything else we should be thinking about or doing? Um, so there's all sorts of there's all sorts of exercises you can do. If articulation is an issue for you, then you might want to do some tongue twisters before you go on stage. You know, like I like uh, she sells seashells down by the seashore, stuff like that. Um, but probably, I mean, I'll just offer this as a gateway to you know a whole other um, way that I work with individuals and with groups, which is. If your message is not landing with your audience, if you find yourself um, feeling vocally like, I'm just not sure that, that things are working with my voice, what could be happening is that you're getting stuck in vocal patterns. And you know, in the same way that we might do the same gesture over and over, which is a physical version of a pattern, um, our voice can do the same thing. It can get stuck in a pattern. And there are a lot of examples of different patterns that we can get stuck in. One could be to be sort of monotone and talk in a low monotone voice the whole time. But then really anything can be a pattern. Um, vocal fry is a pattern that a lot of us are kind of familiar with yeah. in the world. Um, <laughs> Upspeak is a pattern where we go up at the end of a sentence, even if, even if it's not a question. Right. So there's that one. Um, and then sometimes people just get into whatever the pattern is. But just know that if you're stuck in a pattern with the way that you're delivering your message because of the way and there's a lot of research around this because of the way that audiences absorb information, they're going to get mesmerized by your vocal pattern and have trouble listening to your content. So. The way to address this issue is um, a little catchphrase that I like to share, which is let every thought have its own energy. I'll say it again just so we can like let that settle. Let every thought have its own energy. So if I'm saying, hey, Angela, how are you? That thought has a different energy than I'm doing really well. Thank you so much right? Mm. But if we say, hey, Angela, how are you? I'm doing very well. Thank you so much. If we start to get into a pattern, can you hear how that's going to be hard to follow? Yeah, absolutely. It's You get lulled. Yeah. lulled. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So so I'll, I'll offer this as a sort of gateway to a huge body of, you know, um, ex exploration and work, which is check in with your vocal patterns, record yourself, listen back, are you stuck in any patterns or are you truly letting every thought have its own energy? And if you're letting every thought have its own energy, amazing. Your audience is going to have such an easier time understanding you. Excellent. Thank you. Those are such great tips. I have a question just kind of a little bit off topic that I've thought about before. And while I have you an expert on the phone, I thought we should talk yes, about this. Sure. sure. Do you see any differences between the way women use their voice versus the way men use it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So a lot of those patterns that I just gave as an example are at least we assume or we believe they are stereotypically female patterns like the vocal fry or the upspeak. Um, 
the truth is men do it too. But I think that there is something about the way women, and, and I'm, you know, this is very general, but there is, there is a way that women use their voices that it, it speaks a little bit to what you were asking about earlier, that, that it's just our whole self, our whole body is not necessarily behind our voice. And so one of the offerings that I have is a class called Speak With Your Whole Self, where we take a look at those patterns, like we look at vocal fry, what is it, how does it work, why are we doing it? And we really ask that question because I don't have clear answers. None of us do. Um, and then we have the tools to maybe change it. But um, and, that, and that work that I do is specifically really geared at women because um, I think there are these ideas of what an authoritative voice sounds like that maybe is sort of masculine um, in paradigm. And so breaking down what a full voice sounds like, what an authentic voice sounds like, and letting that be something that can sound feminine as well as masculine is um, a huge part of my interest and work. Mm -hmm. Is there anything else we should know about this topic of voice that public speakers should be aware of before we jump into our lightning round? Um, I mean, there's so much. I think it's just, um, I think it's just having an awareness that your voice is working for you is um, such a huge thing. Because I think sometimes when when we're not aware of how hard our voice is working on our behalf, um, we might get competitive or combative of it, if you know what I mean, we might be like, Oh, my voice always works. Why isn't it working today? Hmm. As opposed to going, oh my gosh, voice, you're so fabulous. Thank you for everything you do for me. You need a day off, no problem. <laughs> you yeah. know, uh, just being like kind and gentle and compassionate with this thing that does so much for us. And even just having this conversation and becoming aware of um, how hard our voice works for us is massive. It's massive. It is. And even for as much as I talk about voice, I don't really think about my actual literal voice yeah, <laughs> and my vocal yeah. cords. So having this conversation with you today is really helpful to just remember that there's an, there's a thing inside of me that's making this happen and, yeah. and, and they need to be cared for and thought about and, and valued and shown gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And you know, so a lot of my work, I mean, we've been talking about all of this different exercises and stuff you can do, but part of what I'm actually starting to do in my work now too, um, because I also have a, a strong background in yoga and, um, I am a yoga teacher. And so what I'm starting to really play with and explore too is, um, chanting, which is a big practice in the, in the bhakti yoga world. Um, and chanting is really just all about making the sound that wants to come out of your mouth and making it with joy and offering it devotionally to something bigger than ourselves. And, um, in, in my own exploration, starting to play with chanting and now starting to share, share it with people, it's a really fun way to just stay tapped into this idea of appreciation and compassion and joy with our voices, um, even if we're not a singer. So um, that's something I'll share too, is that that can be a fun way in. And if anyone is interested in chanting with me, they can come to the website and there's opportunities to do that. Oh, awesome. I'm going to go there right after this. Yay! <laughs> All right. So yeah. let's jump into the lightning round. We have six quick questions with Alyssa. Okay. Question number one, what's the number one piece of advice you have for women who want to be well-known speakers? Mm, number one piece of advice is to speak from your heart. If you are speaking something that feels true for you, if it vibrates for you, it will vibrate for other people. Yeah. Number two, do you have a personal operating philosophy? And if so, what is it? I do. Um, 
my personal mission statement is to be my authentic self more fully and more often and empower other people to do the same. Number three, what advice would you give to your 25-year-old self? Mm, Follow your passion. And number four, what advice do you have for your 75-year-old self? Also follow your passion, but also be gentle. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 25-year-old me might need that too. (laughs) It's true. And number five, if you had to pick one object to represent yourself, what would you pick? Um, A frog. I love frogs. (laughs) (laughs) Why a frog? They've always been my favorite animal. Um, I, I like how frogs can like land and be somewhere and then leap and then makes like just unabashed sound. I was actually in Bali for a month in July, which um, we're recording this like, you know, about a month since I've been there. And um, the frogs outside my window every morning, I just like loved it. So I'd be a frog. Okay. (laughs) And um, number six, (laughs) what what does it mean to you to claim the stage? Um, It means to bring my whole self onto stage. It means to um, take in the whole environment that I'm in and to share love it. Is there anything you'd like to share with my audience, like any upcoming events or offers that they should know about? I know you teach a course. I'm sure that would be interesting to them. Yeah. So, um, so I think I've mentioned a couple different things that I offer, but, um, the sort of, you know, gateway offering to all of this stuff actually now is the chanting stuff. So if people want to come to voicebodyconnection.com, um, I have a weekly, um, on, it's online so people can join from anywhere. Or of course, if you're with me in New York City, please show up in person. Um, it's called Voice Body Kirtan. Kirtan is the word for um, a Sanskrit sing-along, which is um, you know a chanting practice in yoga. So if people want to join Voice Body Kirtan, they can come to voicebodyconnection.com and all the information about that will be there. Excellent. Is there anything yeah. else, anywhere else we should find you online? Um, that's the, that's the perfect starting place. Cause that's also where you'll find information about private sessions, classes, et cetera. Perfect. Alyssa, thank you so much for being on the show today. You've helped to open my eyes to voice in a different way. And I'm sure you've done the same for the listeners. So I want to just express gratitude for that and for your energy and all the work you do in the world. Cause it is so valuable and I love the energy you bring to it. Thank you. It's my honor and my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me to share. I hope you will try some of these fun exercises Alyssa shared with us. I wanted to mention that right after I recorded that interview, I went and ran a speaker sisterhood club meeting in Amherst, Massachusetts. And I said to everyone in the club, before we do the speeches, let's all practice this cool exercise I learned today. And we did the... exercise and we could not stop laughing it was like the best way to start a meeting so not only is this a fun exercise to do for warm-up but it's a really fun way to just hang out with friends I highly recommend (laughs) suggesting it next time you're hanging out with a group so that does it for me this week you guys if you enjoyed this episode if you're thinking about speaking school please feel free to get in touch with me you can email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com anytime And that does it. So we'll be back next week with more as always. And you know the deal. Stop waiting. Start creating. I'll see you next time.